Hello and welcome everyone. Thank you so much for listening. My name is Renee. I'll be your host for the next hour or so. I'm a consulting astrologer and somatic intuitive, and my work is to bring the language of astrology into the experience of our embodied lives, relationships, and worldly experiences. You're listening to the Embodied Astrology Reading for Sagittarius season in 2019. Sagittarius season begins on November 22nd and ends on December 21st. The reading I give for this season is an invitation to attune and align with the energetic qualities of this season. In today's episode, I start off talking a bit about Mercury's retrograde cycle and its shadow phase, which will extend through the first half of Sagittarius season. I explore Sagittarius as a sign and Jupiter as its planetary ruler, and then I get into the galactic center, which is placed in Sagittarius. I talk a little bit in this episode about Jupiter's upcoming transit through Capricorn, which begins on December 2nd, but I'll tell you a whole lot more about that next month in the Capricorn season episode. In the last 20 minutes, I offer embodiment and awareness practices for working with all of these astrological energies and some suggestions for how to use them effectively. To learn more about Sagittarius season, please make sure to listen to your audio horoscopes. In the individual audio horoscopes for all 12 signs, I break down where Sagittarius is in your chart, and I go over some of the peak points of this season so you're prepared and primed for working with the upcoming month's potentials and challenges. All of my audio horoscopes, guided meditations, and podcasts are offered for free. If this work benefits you in your life, please consider making a one-time or recurring donation to help keep it going. Recurring monthly donations can be made at any amount and will grant you access to my expanded monthly reports. These reports include extended recorded forecasts where I go over the planetary aspects and lunar cycles for every day of the zodiac season, as well as a printable astro calendar and journal outlining the planetary aspects and lunar cycles with suggestions for guided meditations and embodiment practices. If financial contributions aren't possible for you at this time, the number one way you can support this work is by sharing it with your family, friends, and networks, liking it, hearting it, and leaving five-star reviews on Apple iTunes Podcasts and your other favorite listening platforms. Just a reminder to everyone listening, if you really want to know more about your own personal astrology, the best way to learn is to get a reading. I offer astrology chart readings for individuals, couples, families, and groups. If you want to learn more about the kinds of readings and the work that I offer, please check out embodiedastrology.com. Stay tuned for a brief message, and I'll be right back with Sagittarius season. All right. Well, hello, everyone. Welcome to Sagittarius season. I am recording this podcast, this episode on November 20th, and today is the day that Mercury has stationed direct. So that's a big event in the astrological world. The Mercury retrograde cycles happen three times per year, and every single time they are an important cycle. Mercury is representative of our minds, our conscious intellect, our cognitive processes, the function of language, and all communications. When Mercury is retrograde, this is a symbol of all of those functions of mind and communication becoming more reflective, becoming a little inward turning or backward looking. During Mercury retrogrades, we often Uh, return to old ideas. We might ruminate on them, circle around them. There may be communication mishaps, and often those mishaps are actually um, important triggers for excavation, for a more deeper understanding. Um, 
some of the symbols of Mercury retrograde have to do with forgetfulness or ignorance of something important that we don't realize, aren't conscious of, and then we have to return to it so that we can understand a deeper meaning of something. Mercury has been retrograde in Scorpio um, during this cycle, and as you probably know, Scorpio is a sign that is associated to the very deep emotional waters. And if you'd like to learn more about Scorpio, please listen to last month's Embodied Astrology podcast called Depth Perception um, that focused on Scorpio and its correspondence to the genitals, to the reproductive organs. And I talked a lot about different kinds of emotions that Scorpio is associated with, including the emotions that are buried so deeply that we often forget that they're there. We don't know that we're there, but they influence us um, pretty profoundly. So in a Mercury retrograde in Scorpio, there may be remembering of some of these emotions or recognition of the ways that they're influencing things. And certainly that's uh, in large part how I've personally experienced um, this current Mercury retrograde. I've had a couple of very classic kind of typical Mercury retrograde um, experiences as well, technology not working, communication mishaps and confusion. But most of the retrograde for me has actually felt like a very internal reflective uh, space that I've been in. And I've been working through a lot of really deep feelings. And even though I've been telling clients all month and uh, writing it in the horoscopes that these kinds of experiences are probably going to come up. I've also been surprised at what's come up for me at the kind of intensity with certain sensations that I thought, oh, I've worked through that or I'm beyond it or something like that, only to find that there's another layer to work with. So I hope that um, this Mercury retrograde hasn't been too catastrophic for you all and that you've also been able to um, access and reflect on some um, deeper processes that you've been going through and that these processes are helpful in clearing the way for your evolution and for your growth. I know that as hard as it's been to be in the emotional space that I've been in for the, the past couple of weeks, um, it also feels really important. It feels like I'm addressing some um, pretty significant internal blockages and coming into contact with some deeper belief systems that are limiting. So I'm grateful to have had the opportunity to, to get in touch with these kinds of experiences. And I hope that you have been able to, to have um, some kind of, of process or chance to feel like you're um, doing fruitful labor as well with this Mercury retrograde. Um, so today Mercury turns direct at 11 degrees of Scorpio and I want to um, bring in the wisdom of an astrologer who I really adore whose name is Elias Lonsdale. I don't know much about this astrologer except that they've authored um, a book called Inside Degrees which I reference um, somewhat regularly in embodied astrology and have for the last number of years. I've heard from a lot of listeners that they've also found profound insight with Elias's interpretations of the degree points within the zodiac. So Elias Lonsdale has written um, this book called Inside Degrees that gives a description um, for each degree within the zodiac. Every sign has 30 degrees and uh, all of those degrees are described um, <clears throat> in really poetic ways. 
So I'm going to read the degree descriptions for 11 degrees of Scorpio, talk a little bit about this degree point, and then I'll read the degree description for 27 degrees of Scorpio, which is the degree point where Mercury turned retrograde and where it will now need to return to to fully complete its retrograde cycle. So first, um, at 11 degrees of Scorpio, we have the title, Gnarled Twisted Trees Against an Overcast Sky. And the description is, seeing the worst, feeling the worst, knowing the worst. In tune with darkness, difficulty, and melodrama, you're sharply drawn to points of view and ways of life that bear the stamp of irony, skepticism, and doubt. There can be a corrosive immersion in cycles of falling for the worst. However, you are closely watched by guiding spirits and allowed to become only so far shadowed. And then a massive corrective action asserts itself, reversing many terrifying patterns. Playing with fire, checking out the dark side of the tracks, but inwardly you seek regeneration and even salvation in the most unlikely places, which in the ultimate reckoning may be the most likely places. So this is kind of classic Elias, just, um, you know, pure poetry, and we make of it what we will. Um, when I read this description this morning, I had a big sigh of relief because honestly, for the last couple of days, I have been seeing the worst, feeling the worst, and knowing the worst. And I have been definitely in tune with darkness, difficulty, and melodrama um, in my own life and in the world. I've been really fucking depressed actually and um, really feeling like I've been kind of at a wall with myself with my own efforts with um, a lot of aspects of um, relationships in general and then specifically but a kind of uh, a general malaise and certainly a lot that's happening in the world as always reading the news is not um, a mood booster but I've I've really been in a hard place. And then um, starting last night, I started to feel a little bit of a shift and this sense that there actually is um, exactly as they say, a kind of guiding spirit that um, was pulling me back into something, pulling me back into some kind of anchor um, with myself. And um, I'm not quite sure what what the salvation will be or the regeneration, um, both words that are really interesting with Scorpio season, but um, I definitely feel that energy is starting to shift. I made a post on Instagram this morning talking a little bit about this period in Mercury's um, retrograde cycle when it stations. And when Mercury stations both retrograde and direct, it appears to basically slow down and stop in the sky. It's at the same place for about six days. Um, so about two or three days on, on either side of, of the station day. And this period of time when Mercury appears to stand still in the sky is called its storm. And um, this period is known for, described as being probably the most challenging period within a Mercury retrograde. It's when um, it's like our energy stops, it gets stagnant and uh, things can really go haywire during those times. And immediately there were like 
you know, all these different responses of people writing in going, ah, that's exactly how I feel. So as I'm recording this on this day, um, I am also hoping that you, as you're listening in the future, are able to think back um, to around the 20th and maybe even back to uh, October 31st around Halloween time when Mercury was stationing retrograde and just notice for yourself what was happening um, in your energy during those periods of time. And uh, do these storm periods have uh, an impact on you? And definitely pay attention in upcoming Mercury retrogrades as well to these periods of time. So as I mentioned, now Mercury will be in direct motion. Um, As it gets out of its storm, it will start to pick up speed and it will make a third and final pass over this part of the sky that we uh, in Uh, a Western astrological language called Scorpio. Mercury stationed retrograde at 27 degrees of Scorpio again on Halloween, and it moved all the way back to 11 degrees. It passed 11 degrees on October 11th, and it will get back to 27 Scorpio on December 7th. So the periods of time between the station points and when Mercury reaches one of the degrees of its stationing are called the shadows. So between October 11th and October 31st, Mercury was direct, it was in direct motion, but it was moving over this portion of the sky that it would retrograde over. Then it turned retrograde. We had those three weeks that we consider Mercury retrograde. Today it's turning direct, and now we'll have another couple of weeks of Mercury in direct motion again moving over this period of sky. So I definitely like to work with the shadow periods as well as the retrograde period. I've noticed that the first pass of Mercury is often kind of setting the stage. Like, okay, here's the content that now you're going to have to work with when Mercury is retrograde. And certainly that happened for me. I was in a pretty good mood Um, during those couple of weeks, Mercury's first shadow, but having some conversations and experiences that were certainly bringing a couple of things up. And then during Mercury's retrograde, that's when I really went into the reflection of it. And we'll see what happens um, in this shadow phase from now until December 7th. But if all goes according to the idea of what this phase is, then now I'll be able to make a little bit more sense of what these last couple of weeks have been. I might be able to resolve um, some of these deeper layers that I've been working with. There may be recognition of how to integrate them and work with them in a little bit more of a a productive way for me. So um, let's check in with Elias Lonsdale for Scorpio 27. The title of this degree is Three Blue Robin Eggs. And the description is, holding inside you a complete future vision, preserving and guarding a limitless awareness of what can be and what shall be. You feel so perversely the impact of what you carry inside that each piece of it now becomes supercharged with meaning and archetypal power beyond how it might seem to anybody else. Being in the preliminary stages of something so vast and staggering that even those stages feel momentous beyond conception just about bowled over by future destiny. The personal self of now is cast into shadow, seeming trivial, a throwaway, 
but so transported by prenatal resolves to go all the way this time that any sacrifice or difficulty is chalked up to necessity, excuse me, to necessary stages of rough process. And the inner mind holds its lodestar in view and simply cooks inside until it's time to boil over. Um, so again, make of that what you will. I definitely recommend that you check out um, this book. You can find a free PDF online if you Google Elias Lonsdale. Uh, their name is spelled E-L-I-A-S-L-O-N-S-D-A-L-E. Um, inside degrees, you'll find this PDF uh, with all of the descriptions for the entire zodiac. I highly recommend reading the descriptions for your sun, moon, and rising degree points um, and any other planets that you're interested in. Uh, kind of this very poetic, very um, provocative, evocative, I think, descriptions. Um, so, as I'm thinking into this next period of time, moving from 11 degrees of Scorpio to 27 degrees of Scorpio, I feel really resonant with what I believe that the author is writing about or what um, kind of occurs to me as, as I read these descriptions, which is that there's a lot that's shifting right now and that there's a lot that needs to die, actually. And this is one of the important ideas of Scorpio season is that things need to die in order for this rebirth process to happen. And that as we get into the end of Mercury's retrograde, we are moving into this readiness to birth and um, this kind of feeling of resolve that, that something needs to now come forward. Um, so I'm talking about Scorpio in the beginning of Sagittarius season because as Sagittarius season begins on November 22nd, um, we'll still be in Mercury's storm. And the sun will move into Sagittarius on November 22nd, and Mercury, of course, will still be moving through Scorpio. Mercury will move into Sagittarius on December 9th. And at that point, um, my, my prediction, if I was to make a prediction, is that we'll really feel Sagittarius season in its full power once Mercury gets into that sign, especially with a lot of ideas and recognition that have come through with this Mercury retrograde now moving into consciousness as Mercury joins the sun in a sign that is known for consciousness. Um, so that's exciting and we'll, we'll be looking forward to that. Now, when the sun moves into the place that we call Sagittarius, Sagittarius season begins. So the place that we call Sagittarius is an orientation of the earth in relationship to the sun. And in Western astrology, this has to do with a quality of light, the quality of light that we um, perceive and experience in the northern hemispheres and in the southern hemispheres being at the ends of the seasons of autumn and spring. So these seasons are times when light is really shifting. We're moving into the next phase. Here in the Northern Hemisphere, we're definitely at the end of autumn. The trees are almost naked, not quite. They're shedding their last leaves. The days are getting significantly shorter. 
And this feeling of, of the eyes needing to search and reach for light, I really associate to Sagittarius being a Northern Hemisphere person my entire life. Um, and it's one of the main ways I think about Sagittarius is how my eyes feel in Sagittarius season, which, um, how do I explain it? It's the feeling of um, both opening and focusing at the same time. As light becomes less available, the days are significantly shorter and the quality of light is significantly uh, less radiant and vibrant than in the summer. I find that my eyes um, do something a little bit different and the feeling that I get in my eyes is somewhat similar to when I'm concentrating on a big idea. If somebody is trying to explain to me how the universe works, the way that I'll be looking at them, trying to absorb the information that they're giving me is very similar to the way that my eyes feel in Sagittarius season in the Northern Hemisphere. So I'm interested in hearing from you. How do you experience this season? Um, whatever we're giving our attention to, of course, grows and um, reveals itself to us. So as we move into Sagittarius season, there are, of course, a lot of things that we could say about Sagittarius, and uh, we might be looking for these things, and so therefore they might occur, or they might seem to occur more frequently or more strongly. Um, but I'm definitely interested in hearing from you if you feel compelled to comment on this track or send me an email um, or a message. What does Sagittarius season mean for you? What happens where you live? What happens with the light? What's growing? What kinds of behaviors and activities are people engaging with? What's the feeling and the sentiment? And this kind of observation, I think, is really what astrology is and should be. Um, a method for attuning ourselves more deeply and in a more embodied way to this planet that we live on. And the planet is always experiencing cycles of light, cycles of sunlight in our yearly round, um, our orbit around the sun, and cycles of moonlight throughout the, the months, the moons, as the moon and the sun are in relationship to one another. And at least... Um, to some extent, the, the cycles of planetary light, which we may or may not be able to see, um, but certainly we can keep track of and we can notice, we can observe how we feel. So we're moving into Sagittarius season. What does it mean for you? The sun in Sagittarius can bring more consciousness to the themes of Sagittarius. And the day that the sun enters the sign Sagittarius, the planet Jupiter um, is going to be at 27 degrees of Sagittarius. I think this is very significant and I will tell you why. So Jupiter is a planetary ruler of Sagittarius and uh, in astrology, all of the signs have their planetary rulers. So what that means, the way that I think of it, is that the the signs are kind of like territories and the rulers are the, the rulers of those territories. So they infuse the territories with their priorities, with their attitudes, and when they leave those territories, they become uh, emissaries of the, the, the attitudes and um, the needs of their homeland. So Jupiter is the ruler of Sagittarius and since last November of 2018, Jupiter has been in Sagittarius. This is somewhat 
special. Jupiter has a 12-year orbit around the sun and therefore spends about 12 months in each sign. So it's been 12 years since Jupiter was last uh, in Sagittarius. And you can look back in time at your Jupiter cycles to understand quite a lot about the way that Jupiter functions for you. Now, as the ruler of Sagittarius, Jupiter is again, an emissary or an embodiment of Sagittarian qualities. So I'm going to list some of these qualities now and we can apply them to both Sagittarius and Jupiter as zodiacal and planetary influences. So both Jupiter and Sagittarius are definitely considered when we think about ideas of learning and wisdom, um, particularly the learning that we pursue. So there's learning that we receive because of our environments, because of our contexts, learning that we pick up from our very early environments like language or mimicry, learning that we get um, through, through school, through early education, that kind of learning is not Sagittarius. That kind of learning would be associated to its opposite sign, Gemini. The learning that we pursue on our own is what we would associate to Sagittarius. So once you um, kind of get to an age, and for some people this might be really early on, for some people it might be much later in life, where you go, that's the thing that I want to know about. And you find your own resources, you find your own mentors, your mentors find you, they start to blow your mind, you blow your own mind with what you're learning about, you recognize that previous learning or things that you took for granted or were kind of automatic about um, are in fact very limited and that there's so much more out there that you can learn. That experience is a very Sagittarian and Jupiterian experience. Oh, wow. There's so much to know. I get that feeling every time I sit down to read an astrology book or even think about it. It's like, oh my God, there's so much to know. This language is so old. There have been so many books written about it. There are so many teachers. Uh, there's more to know about it than I will ever possibly know in my lifetime. Um, that can feel very overwhelming, but it can also feel very stimulating. If you have pursued some kind of higher uh, academic qualifications, if you've gone to college or if you've gone to graduate school or uh, done some other kind of courses of study that haven't been um, directed for you by another person, but that you've chosen, or you've entered into some kind of learning space like a college and um, looked at the course catalog and gone, oh, whoa, I could take any of these classes? You know, what do I want to learn? That feeling of directing your own path and seeking knowledge is very much associated to both Jupiter and Sagittarius. We also have uh, teachers and gurus and mentors associated with Jupiter and Sagittarius. In Vedic astrology, Jupiter, the planet, is often called the guru, so the teacher, the great teacher. And Sagittarius is considered to be the, the home of wisdom or the birthplace of wisdom. With this idea, we also have to recognize ideas um, that become beliefs. So once there is an idea, it can very easily become a belief. I talked about this quite a bit last year in Sagittarius season um, in the episode, which I no longer remember 
what it's titled, but I'll try and remember to link it in the show notes. Um, I was talking about my relationship to spiritual teachers specifically, and um, uh, both a longing and a frustration that I had with with the idea of knowledge, with something being known. And this thing that happens often with teachers and with teachings, which is that they become formalized, and then there's a fundamentalism around them. And so when there's an idea of something, and we might get our minds expanded by that idea, or we might feel the exaltation of, um, of that new idea, it can very easily become a belief. So if you've ever studied astrology, or if you've um, taken a graduate class or something like that, you know, you learn something new and it's like, whoa, okay, wow, that exists, or that's the way that, that it works. And then, um, I don't know how it quickly it happens for you, but for me, it can happen fairly quickly that I'll metabolize whatever that experience was, and then I'll turn it into some kind of fact that I keep for myself where it's like, oh, well, Sagittarius means wisdom. And this is what wisdom means. So when we consider Sagittarius, we also, and Jupiter, we want to consider that their essences are about a constant expansion and the search for truth and the search for knowledge, which is never ending. That search is constantly evolving. It's a constant process. And the search is the whole point, right? The journey is the destination. There is not a fixed uh, or static truth. Um, And though both Jupiter and Sagittarius are associated with mentors, with advisors, with gurus, they can also be associated with evangelists, right? With missionaries, with um, people who are trying to sell us on their beliefs, trying to convince other people that their beliefs are right and they're the right way to go. And that can easily show us the shadow side of both of these figures, which is um, the ways that we submit our own knowledge and our own questing for knowledge to whomever or whatever we might consider to be an authority. And it might also illuminate the deep hunger that we can have when we're looking for an answer and the way that that hunger can actually open us up in vulnerability to other people's ignorance or short-sightedness or um, evangelical preaching, whatever it is that's coming out of them. So as we consider this idea of Jupiter in Sagittarius, let's consider that over the last year, pretty much we've had a lot of Jupiter and Sagittarius energy. And what's been happening kind of in the the world at large, you know, is this outpouring of beliefs, right? Like there are a lot of people um, really strongly on a bandwagon for something. Um, At the same time, I think there are just as many people and a growing number of people that are really kind of pushing towards the more exalted qualities of Sagittarius, which is, I don't know. There's no way that I can know, but I'm curious and I want to be open. Um, I'm thinking of what something I read yesterday, which is um, about Ilhan Omar, the um, uh, senator from uh, Minnesota, who is a Muslim, and she had received some kind of uh, hate 
message. I think someone had called her office and had um, expressed really vile threats towards her. Um, and these were like death threats, you know, they're violent. And that person was caught. And then um, Ilhan had advocated for compassionate sentencing with the judge and had requested restorative justice and a process of community integration and education for this person rather than a really huge fine and prison sentence. And she was basically saying that, you know, hate begets hate. Like if we treat people with violence and with cruelty, um, it's only going to enforce their beliefs that they had already. So if this person um, is slapped with a huge fine and sent to jail for a long time, it's probably going to increase his hatred uh, towards her, right? Or towards people that she represents. Um, whereas there's potential, it's not a given, but there's potential that if this person is invited into community in some way and given opportunities to change his mind and to actually be um, in a different kind of relationship, that he might actually um, have a turnaround. So I'm thinking of this example because I think that her response and, and approach um, is such a beautiful representation of the exalted potential of Jupiter and Sagittarius um, or this, this metaphor of it, which is that um, she's not denying that his threats were violent or obscene, but she's acknowledging that for a person to get to that place where they have these kinds of beliefs, they've probably had to experience some amount of suffering and fear. And that that condition um, should be treated with compassion. That she's not going to assume who this person is or what he deserves because of his actions. But she wants to promote an idea of tolerance and open-mindedness and see if there can be a shift or a change happening. Um, in my personal experience, uh, in, my, in myself over the course of the last year and then talking to a lot of people fairly regularly, this seems to be something that is happening for a lot of us. That there are ways that we're recognizing, okay, I've been judgmental, I've been closed-minded, I've been really opinionated, I thought this thing was true, and maybe all of that is wrong. And it might not be about knowing what's right, it might be more of a readiness and a willingness to step into a place of unknown and into a place of uh, compassion or tolerance. Um, I want to offer this as an idea as we think about what the degree point that Jupiter is sitting on is on the day that Sagittarius season begins. So on the day that Sagittarius season begins on November 22nd, Jupiter is at 27 degrees of Sagittarius, and this degree point um, is considered the point of the galactic center. I've talked about the galactic center before in my podcast. You might be familiar with uh, what this is. Basically, our solar system um, is in a, a orbital path around a larger center, and the rotational center of our Milky Way is the galactic center. So our solar system, our sun, right, is a, um, what did Carl Sagan say? Like it's a, you know, non-remarkable 
star off in the corner of, of the, some arm of a galaxy. It's this kind of idea, right? Like our, our sun is magnificent and it's, um, it's a star. It's not even as, as big or as massive as some stars out there are. And our sun is situated um, kind of at the end of one of the arms of the Milky Way galaxy. And these arms of the Milky Way are swirling around a center. And that center is called the galactic center. So from where we are on Earth, when we look towards the galactic center, uh, we look towards the constellations of Sagittarius and Scorpio. Um, and at 27 degrees of Sagittarius is where we see the actual center. So the galactic center um, is something that's real, right? If we're thinking about astronomy and astrophysics, but within astrology, it's a symbol. And the symbol of the galactic center is a symbol of the birth of our galaxy, right? And this place where there's a constant production of stars and at the very center of it, there's a black hole, which means that there's a constant um, death, end, or transformation process of light. So light and matter are being sucked into the center, and then at the same time, this center is spewing out new light and new matter. The name of this episode, Heart of Sky, A Dark Rift, was something that I came across when I was researching the galactic center. Um, I've learned a little bit about Mayan astrology, not much, not as much as I would like to. And um, in researching the Galactic Center, I learned that the Maya had discovered the Galactic Center uh, well before Western science did. And that's probably no surprise to plenty of, of listeners. So um, the, the Maya are a people who have lived in Central America for many centuries, and they're one of the many pre-Columbian native peoples of Mesoamerica um, in the past and today still. They occupy Guatemala, um, portions of, of what's considered Mexico or Chiapas and Tabasco and the whole of the Yucatan Peninsula, Belize, and the western edges of, of Honduras and um, El Salvador. And peoples of, of Maya heritage have occupied this area and, the med and these territories for some 4,000 years. Um, and in their history, they have an amazing history of uh, remarkable achievement and technologies. And included in those achievements are really detailed astronomical observations that they carried out over long periods of time, which is how we learn astrology is through observation over long periods of time. And the Maya were able to predict uh, solar eclipses. They tracked um, the visible planets really closely. And they um, theorized or knew about the existence of the galactic center. And they knew exactly where it was located. Um, and so they kind of called this place the womb of the universe and knew that this was the place that birthed the stars and the sun, including, of course, our star, our sun. Um, meanwhile, Western scientists, uh, quote unquote, discovered the galactic center in 1932. So uh, considerably later, um, while searching for the cause of static in overseas phone lines. Um, just as an aside to any astro nerds out there, I, 
I just think this is like hilarious and worth, worth a chuckle thinking about the polarity or the axis between Gemini and Sagittarius. Um, this axis is one of, of course, the axis between learning and wisdom or information and knowledge. And um, Gemini rules telephones and Sagittarius rules um, long distances or long distance travel. So when I read that, that a Western scientist had kind of accidentally discovered the galactic center and realized that it was partially responsible for the static that was being created um, in overseas phone lines. It just um, kind of made me want to look at the chart for that discovery and see what was going on in Gemini and Sagittarius. Um, anyway, I digress. In 2008, German scientists verified that the center of the galactic center is a black hole. So um, I just want to think about this as a, as a symbol for a moment. And of course, astrology is a language of symbolism and the black hole at the center of the galactic center and the galactic center itself. These are real phenomena and we can definitely talk about them through astrophysics but as a symbol there it's such an incredibly powerful symbol. Um, first I just want to acknowledge that blackness and lightness or darkness and, and lightness have really been um, uh, what do I want to say? Like the lenses of religion and race have been put on these experiences of light and I want to extract them from this idea. Um, and I want to think about the power of this symbolism that there's this place that is spewing out new stars, suns, there's a, a place that's basically giving birth to consciousness. And at the very center of that place is this um, profound darkness that calls in um, light and matter, that sucks everything in. And we don't know what happens in black holes. There are theories about it, but of course, no one's been able to travel into one and come out on the other side. Um, they suck in all light. And there's this idea that all matter is compressed. And so whatever happens in a black hole is some kind of crazy death dying transformation process. But then also this is a place of, of birth. So really profound symbol. And the Maya um, un totally understood that and named it the, the womb of the universe, this birthplace of consciousness. Um, so how beautiful is that? Um, let's think about some of the correlations between this symbol of the galactic center and of course the black hole at the center of it and the symbol of Sagittarius. Because Sagittarius, when you um, are look, looking towards the galactic center, Sagittarius is the constellation from Earth where the galactic center seems to be located. If we are to look down the Milky Way and at the galactic center, we're looking at the um, basically 26 to 27 degrees of Sagittarius. So with this symbol as a metaphor for this sign, we have the idea of a mother womb or the birthplace of consciousness. And consciousness, of course, is symbolized by light. And light allows us uh, to see something. Therefore, 
it's real. Light is also the source of heat, of course, and so it grows things. And once again, just to kind of reference this non-realness of a um, perceived polarity between light and dark, that light and heat grow from the inert, rich, and fertile material of dark. So this place, um, when we think about it in terms of Sagittarius, we might think about the quest for consciousness and the quest for enlightenment. And that that quest, if you've uh, ever stepped into that journey before yourself, if you've read about it, that that quest is so much about one of um, mediating the apparent duality of things, of trying to find the middle path, of seeing um, the way that truth is really non-existent, that within the, the heart of the opposite we find ourselves. Um, when I think about this symbol of a birthplace of stars and suns, <clears throat> I think about Sagittarius and how many fucking ideas Sagittarius has. Have you ever been around a person who's strongly Sagittarius? It's like ideas, 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 ideas. There's so many possibilities. There's so many things sparking all the time. Um, when I think about the distance, the distance uh, that we are from this center, 27,000 light years, that's how far it is from the Earth to the galactic center. I can barely conceive what 27 miles is. You know what I mean? Like, what is 27,000 light years? I have no idea. But Sagittarius is a symbol of adventure and voyage and the unknown. And this calling to pour ourselves into that um, endless kind of quest where it's like, we don't know if we're ever going to get there. We don't know what's going to be there when we do get there, if we do get there, but we're going to go. So, um, yes, I wanted to call that in and to think about the galactic center, to think about some of the correlations of the galactic center to the sign Sagittarius where it's located. And then I also just want to honor um, that there's so much indigenous wisdom that um, has been around for so long that Western science, you know, stumbles upon and really gives itself a pat on the back about, but... Um, this is knowledge and knowing that has been present for so long. And um, just as an aside, I, I want to express my frustration and, and grief and dismay that there's so much continued um, extortion and violence towards Indigenous people. And um, in Sagittarius season coming up this month on November 28th, which is Thanksgiving Day in the United States, it's also a national day of mourning. And it's a national day of mourning for um, the, the slaughter of Native American peoples and the indigenous peoples of the North American uh, continent. But I think it can definitely be an international day of mourning because this has happened all over the world. Um, if you are a person like me who benefits from white and um, European ancestry, whiteness and European ancestry, um, maybe consider on Thanksgiving, really marking the holiday, not just as a time to gather with friends and eat a bunch of food, but as a time to do what you can um, to leverage your resources and your privilege towards um, supporting the uh, 
restoration and the protection of indigenous cultures and wisdom. Um, a couple of months ago, I signed up to become a monthly donor for the Indigenous Environmental Network, and they're an amazing organization. They've been around for quite a long time, and they do a lot of work around uh, environmental policy and education. So there are many, many organizations out there, um, plenty that you can find with a simple Google search. If you're interested in this organization, you can look them up at ienearth.org. Um, I digress again. Anyway, back to um, this idea of the galactic center and uh, these correlations. Let's really try and invoke the Sagittarian um, wisdom, which is that we don't know. Right? There's a lot to consider, and these symbols are so evocative. They can be so profound. Look at your natal chart and notice what's at 27, around 26 and 27 degrees of Sagittarius. If you have planets or points there, um, these planets and points are in connection to the galactic center. If you have planets and points that are at... Um, opposition or square angles. That means that they're in mutable signs, Gemini, Virgo, Pisces, around 26 or 27 degrees. That means that these planets and points are in dynamic and potentially tense relationship with the galactic center, but they're going to be triggered um, by that energy. If you have planets or points in the fire signs, Leo, Aries, and of course, Sagittarius around 26, 27, you're getting this energy as a, as a kind of flowing, unstopping force into your chart. So check your chart, notice what's there. Um, and then let's just meditate a little bit on how these sensations feel so that we can understand the relevance and um, the energetic qualities that will come through in these planets or points that are stimulated by the galactic center. So if you can imagine in yourself the feeling of awe, and I love the word awe because it means um, you know, you're struck by something that is brilliant and beautiful and terrifying and too big to comprehend. So this feeling of awe, maybe looking at um, some, I don't know, the Grand Canyon, you know, some, somewhere in nature that's just like blowing your mind. Or when you come across a big question, when you're trying to conceive of the galactic center, when you're thinking about the earth in its relationship to the cosmos, um, when you have the revelation of scale, like, oh God, my body is so small and this place is so huge, the way that the mind can expand. So call into your mind, into your memory, some time when you felt awestruck, when you were um, resonating and absorbed in a big question, or sometime when you were really struck by your tininess in this vast um, universe or this vast earth, what does that feel like? In your body? What do those sensations feel like? What happens in your brain? What happens in your eyes? What happens in your felt sense throughout your body? Does your heart start to race? Do you take a big breath in? Do you feel a little dizzy? What sensations are there? 
and then contrast those sensations um, with skepticism, with boredom, with judgment. When someone's telling you an idea and you're like, you are full of it, right? Or like they're telling you something that's like, ugh, stop. You're judging it. What happens in the sensation of your mind? What happens to your eyes? What happens to your breathing? What happens to your body? Just notice the difference. If you are filled with an idea or a passion, what's that feel like to you? Have you ever had a moment where you've just been really creatively inspired, really fired up about some idea that you have? What does that feel like? Notice what happens in your chest. Notice what happens in your eyes. Notice what happens in your hands. What does your mind do? Contrast that with remembering what it feels like to submit to someone else's idea or the looking towards or listening to an external authority to tell you what, what something is or uh, how to think about it. How does it feel different in your body? If you think about being on an adventure, have you ever been on an adventure? When was the last time? Maybe it was when you were a little kid. What's the feeling of being on an adventure? You don't know what's going to happen next. Anything is possible. And then contrast that with the feeling of predictability and routine. So what are these feelings? Sometimes providing contrast can really help us understand um, <laughs> what we're contrasting with. So these sensations of awe, questions, scale, ideas, adventures, these are the sensations of Sagittarius and they're the sensations of Jupiter. So again, when you look at your natal chart, Wherever Sagittarius is for you, whatever house it rules, that's the place where you are fed and nourished by these expansive qualities, where you might have a lot of ideas. Um, these are also the places where you have to guard against becoming formulaic, um, becoming so opinionated and certain of your own ideas that you don't look beyond them. These are also places where you have to remain curious. It's a practice of staying open to awe. Wherever Jupiter is in your chart as a natal planet, um, not everybody is born with Jupiter and Sagittarius, so if you have Jupiter in another sign, that sign is being infused by Jupiter's prerogative of learning, of opening the mind, of being adventurous, of having enthusiasm and excitement for something. Um, so take a look in your natal chart. And another reason why I wanted to mention these contrasts is because um, Jupiter will very soon move into the sign Capricorn. And Capricorn as a sign is many things. And next month, 
in Capricorn season, I'll tell you all about Capricorn and a bunch of stuff that's happening in Capricorn. Um, but for this month, I'm just going to talk about Jupiter's entry into Capricorn. So amongst its other qualities, Capricorn is associated to skepticism, judgment, authority figures, the rules of the earth plane, and predictable routines. So we're about to go through quite a shift. Um, the energy of Jupiter in Sagittarius, Jupiter in the sign of its rulership, is huge. It's unbridled. It's so enthusiastic. It can be incredibly opinionated, um, but there can also be a kind of ungroundedness to Jupiter in Sagittarius. It's so energetic. As Jupiter moves into Capricorn, it's moving into a very, very different kind of energy. Capricorn has a limiting, containing, sometimes oppressive or challenging quality to it. And Jupiter is now going to infuse Capricorn with this essence, but it will also be challenged by Capricorn's parameters. Between now and December 2nd, just a couple of days, depending on when you're listening, this may already be past, um, Jupiter's conjunction to the galactic core is strong. So if you're listening during this time, this is a time to meditate regularly. Um, there's a lot of insight available to us right now. There are a lot of rememberings that we can um, remember. There's also a lot that we can let go of. And I love this image of the galactic core as being a birthplace of consciousness, but also an ending place of consciousness. And I want to call in both of them in balance for this period of time, that there may be old obsolete knowing that we want to move on from. And so just like we might clear off the hard drives of our computer, this is a really good time to do meditation and process, journaling, ritual, whatever works for you, to clear the internal hard drive. If there's information that you want to delete, um, you might just do it now, kind of get rid of it. Um, ways to do that might just be speaking to yourself, articulating to yourself, or journaling again, um, what are things that I no longer believe? And just writing them down. Like, I don't have to believe these things. I don't have to believe these things about certain people. I don't have to believe these things about myself. I don't have to believe these things about the world. I don't have to believe these things about the future. And just expel it, purge it. This is a great time to delete and send that information that isn't necessary into the black hole. This is also an amazing time to call in consciousness. Um, please tune in with me on November 26th, which is the day of the new moon in Sagittarius. We'll have a new moon at three degrees of Sagittarius. The uh, planet Jupiter will still be conjunct to the galactic center on that new moon. And I'll offer a guided meditation on connecting to your higher self. And that kind of meditation, any kind of process that you have to connecting to your spirit guides, to your higher self, to cosmic intelligence, to God, source, however you want to think about it, the is, however you want to call it, is great. Um, this is really the time to take advantage of this kind of connection. Consciousness is available to all of us. Um, and with that, I do want to say that if you're receiving a lot of insights, 
um, this is not the time to have ownership over your insights, to feel proprietary over them. I hope, I believe that we're in a time of uh, shift of our consciousness here on earth and evolution of our consciousness. And that means that everybody is waking up. Everybody is recognizing things. I have this experience all the time as a person in business, right? Where I'm like, okay, I'm going to have this astrology business and I have to come up with something that's special and unique and I'm going to put it out there. And then I'll put it out there and immediately I'll come across someone saying pretty much the same thing. And if I'm in a, a lower moment, um, it's really easy for me to go into a, a competitive space and be like, oh, damn, you know, like they said it better, or they said it first, or I said it better, or I said it first, or whatever that shit is. Um, now, that's the feeling, that's the mind state that I was contrasting um, Jupiter and Sagittarius's exalted potential with. That feeling of like competition and judgment is so closing. Um, it's so deadening. So don't fall into the trap of um, deadened or asleep Sagittarian energy. And this is also the trap of Capricorn. So as Jupiter moves into Capricorn, um, and we are supported to now implement some of our insights, and I'm going to talk again a lot about this next month, the implementation and the manifestation of insights. Um, it's really important that we remember the intelligence of the galactic center, which is that intelligence is constantly birthing. It's constantly kind of spewing out. It certainly cannot be known or owned in, it, in its entirety or even at all. Consciousness is available to all of us and to anyone tuning in. And territoriality and competition are a waste of time and a waste of resources. So as you seek to know... Um, the truth of, of the earth plane existence, remember the infinite, remember the unknown. Um, this is so important. And as I'm saying it, I'm remembering um, some of the, the kind of fundamental messages within the yogic system um, and the yoga sutra, where there's a description of how we suffer, basically how we close ourselves off, and that this kind of suffering is also status quo. This is part of what having a body is all about. And that the first, the first way that we suffer is through ignorance. Um, and now ignorance is not necessarily like a not knowing of something, but it's choosing not to know, right? It's an ignoring of something. So we live in bodies and we know that we're all going to die and we know that things change. But every single day for probably most of the day, if not all of the day, most of us are ignoring that. We're instead focusing on permanence. We're focusing on the idea of longevity. We're focusing on the feeling of efficacy and impact and, oh, I'm here in a human body and I'm doing something and it's important, right? So there's a basic ignorance and that ignorance is first and foremost that we're real, that I, me, my, um, in this body is real. And from that ignorance arises the I feeling. So where I self-identify is another source of suffering. 
as soon as I self-identify, I have stories. I have stories about my experiences. I have stories about how I came up with that insight first or whatever it is. The I feeling is going to be a source of suffering. And from the I feeling, I have attractions and aversions. You know, I want that. That's going to make me happy. I don't want that. That's going to feel bad. And then from those experiences, attraction and aversion, we have fear of death. We have fear of our own irrelevance, our own impermanence, um, the inevitability of suffering, the inevitability of irrelevance. So as we um, kind of move through these next couple of days and weeks and months and year, as Jupiter makes its transition from this place of abundant intelligence and a pouring forth of consciousness into a sign that really wants to formalize, that brings into form. Capricorn, again, rules earth plane reality. Um, do what you can to practice waking up from ignorance. Um, for me, that looks like every day meditating on my own death. And this is something that I've done um, for about 20 years now since my mom died. And something that you may do too, naturally in response to an important person dying or naturally because it feels interesting or appropriate um, or you've learned it somewhere. But I found it to be a really helpful practice. It helps me to not take myself too seriously. And certainly when I give it enough time, um, it really helps me to remember my priorities. Um, when I get really focused on me, myself, and I, what I don't like, what I do like, what I want, what I'm trying to do, da-da-da-da-da, these stories where I feel my brain get hard and my consciousness kind of shut down, my intuition shut down, um, I find it incredibly helpful to meditate on my own death. Just knowing that I'm going to die and that that's actually the only thing that I can count on. The things that I don't like, the things that I do like, what I'm going to do in my life, none of those things can I count on. I have many, many times in my life decided that I like something that I didn't like before. Many times in my life started to dislike something that I really liked before and plenty of times in my life have I experienced um, a kind of disruption of the plans that I had for myself. So all of those fluctuations are things that we can't know and if we can stay open, if we can stay in a place of awe, of mystery, um, then we can have access to this wisdom. So now I'd like to work a little bit with some more embodiments for Jupiter and Sagittarius um, so that we can gain additional insight into these energies through our embodied exploration and also so that we can um, practice supporting ourselves for working with these energies in this season but also in our charts as we work with astrology. Um, so in the second part, uh, I'm going to invite you to really bring in your embodied awareness. And you can certainly do this um, while you're doing other things, but you probably don't want your attention to be too divided. You want to be able to, to focus on your body. Um, 
we're going to start with bringing awareness into the hips and the sacroiliac joints. And this is one of the places of rulership for Sagittarius within medical astrology. Um, so if you can use your hands to palpate around your hips, you can feel the bony structures in the container of your hips. Um, people have different ideas about what their hips are. So you can feel kind of your outer hips um, and the, the shape of your outer hips and your thighs. And that can be part of what we consider the hips. And you can also try and locate your hip joints, which are fairly narrow in comparison to what you probably feel as your outer hips. And the hip joints are closer to what you might consider your groin. Your SI, your sacroiliac joints, um, these are the places where your sacrum meets your ilia. So your hip bones are called your ilia, and your sacrum is the kind of base of your spine. Um, the sacrum or the sacral area is the place where a lot of people get tattoos on their low back. So kind of right above um, the gluteal cleft, <laughs> the anatomical term for your butt crack, um, there's this area that uh, a lot of people have like two little dimples on either side or some people have bony protrusions. Um, and if you feel for that area, you might notice how the vertebra of your spine just above that area stick out and point out and they're fairly narrow. And then at some point you cease to feel the vertebra and you feel kind of more of a flat bone. And this bone is roughly diamond shape. The flat base of the diamond would be the superior part, the top part closer to your spine. And the apex of the diamond um, would point downwards towards your tail. And your tailbone is actually connected to the base of your sacrum. The joints um, between your ilia, your hips, and your sacrum are the places where those little dimples or the bony protrusions are. And you can probably feel them if you feel out from that flat surface of bone where the sacrum is, um, if you feel out to either side and kind of massage around a little bit, um, the SI joints, there's kind of a, a bump um, around them. So these are the places, the, the hips, the thighs, and the SI joints that Sagittarius is said to rule in medical astrology. And I think that this is a, a kind of amazing metaphor for Sagittarius because in our bodies, this is the place where the lower limbs, the lower carriage, the feet and the legs meet the spine. Sagittarius is um, one of the three fire signs and the three fire signs rule the central axis of the body. Sagittarius holds the base, Leo uh, rules the spine and the heart center, and Aries rules the head and the skull. So Sagittarius as the base we might consider in relationship to our belief systems and to our basic enthusiasm uh, for life. So what we stand in, in terms of what we believe, has a lot to do with how we feel ourselves in our uprightness. 
and our basic energy, our enthusiasm, the way that we can open to opportunities has a lot to do with our uprightness. When we feel deadened in this part of our body, um, in our hips and our SI, uh, we're often locked or deadened in the joints of our, of our lower legs. And when I say deadened, what I mean is our energy isn't there, consciousness isn't there. So a lot of times um, you might have a habit like I do of kind of locking your knees or falling into the arches of your feet, kind of feeling the, the weight and the inertia of your body just kind of getting locked and held up in your legs. And that's a really different sensation than actively reaching through your legs and through your feet. And if you do this standing or sitting up, it kind of has the same effect of just enlivening your legs and feet. And the common cue that you'll hear in a, in a yoga class, root down to rise up. Um, yoga teachers inviting their students to become aware of the energetic pathways um, through their legs, into their feet, into the ground, then brings buoyancy into the spinal column and into the axial body. And that, that delivery, that transference of energy happens where Sagittarius has rulership. So it happens in the hip joints and around the sacrum. The hips are part of the lower limbs. So they develop at the same time as your legs and your feet. And your sacrum is part of your axial body. It develops with your spine. But the relationship between the hips and the sacrum is really important. So when we walk, um, there's a really slight motion at the sacral iliac joints, and that brings sway and rotation into the spine. If I um, am standing, uh, you know, kind of unevenly with my weight, more weight on one leg and uh, kind of the other leg not, not really engaged. You probably know that stance. It's like when you're talking on the phone stance or I don't know, like hanging out <laughs> stance, um, shifting the weight of your body into one hip. That's going to affect your spine. It's going to bring more compression and, and weight into one side of the spine um, and a more kind of a, a slump into the other side of the spine. So as you notice your, your hips and your SI, notice what happens um, in the difference between being active, engaged, radiating energy out from this part of your body or being shut down and inert. When you radiate energy out, especially if you're um, trying to focus on the feeling of connection between your hips and your SI um, through your legs and into your feet, you want to feel that there's active communication and transference of energy through all of your joints. And I'd mentioned before um, that I and a lot of other people might have a tendency to lock the knees. So this is something I've been working on for a really long time. And as a person that has fairly hypermobile joints, it's a practice for me. So if you, like me, tend to lock your knees, then you might just want to start to play around with softening the fronts of your knees. Now, this is going to mean that the muscles in your legs are going to have to work more. You're going to have to build the strength of your legs. And one of the ways that you can build the strength of your legs as you let your knees bend a little bit is by really engaging your feet 
pressing your toe pads down, feeling that the arches of your feet will naturally lift a little bit as the tips of your toes press down, rooting through your heels. Um, rooting through your toes and through your heels will help the muscles of your legs engage all the way around the bones of your legs. And this in turn will provide stability into your hips and the stability of your hips will provide stability for your spine. Then you can radiate upwards from your hips and your SI. You can imagine that energy is flowing upwards along the spine. And if you are into anatomy, then you know that the psoas muscles attach from your inner thighs to your spine literally. So you can um, even travel with awareness along those pathways as well. Notice what happens for you um, as you practice with this kind of awareness and if you if you practice with it, I'm gonna I'm gonna guess, and I would suggest that this kind of awareness practice can really serve you in the times when you need energy, or when you need support to be alert, present, or enthusiastic, um, or when you're being confronted with authoritative or oppressive um, kinds of identities or energies. So we have a tendency to, to kind of shut down, right, and to lock up um, when we're confronted with energies that feel oppressive or that feel authoritative. And that tendency, um, you know, can, can result in a kind of rigid posture or a collapsed posture, but it doesn't often make us feel stronger or more vibrant. Similarly, if we're tired, if we're feeling a lot of fatigue, if we're feeling kind of listlessness or boredom, um, our postures tend to, to be more listless. So notice if you can use this kind of energetic awareness to shift your own state of being, to shift your own attention, your alertness, and your energy. And I'll propose that also around the new moon, um, you might find some benefit in regular check-ins uh, with your body and in, in this kind of awareness around your hips and your SI. And then of course, throughout Sagittarius season and beyond into the rest of your life. Now in medical astrology, Jupiter rules the liver and the liver has over 500 vital functions um, that have been attributed to it, but modern medicine still doesn't fully understand all of its various functions. So the liver is a boss. It's um, a general, right? It's this organ that does so many things. Some of its primary functions include the production and the excretion of bile, processing and excreting toxins, detoxifying and purifying your blood, metabolizing fats, proteins, and carbohydrates, activating enzymes, storing minerals, and synthesizing plasma proteins. So a whole lot of stuff the liver is doing that are essential. These jobs are essential to your vital functions. Um, your liver is below your right lung, and you can actually feel it if you use your fingertips to palpate up underneath your right ribs. So if you start kind of from the front of your ribs, where your ribs arc upwards towards your sternum, towards your breastbone, and you let your fingertips move in towards your body and then up a little bit, you'll come into contact with a dense feeling tissue. And if you're not sure what I'm talking about, then try it on the left side. And on the left side, um, that's where your stomach is, there's a much softer 
for most people, there's a much softer kind of feeling when you push up on the left side. The liver is definitely more dense than the stomach. Now, the liver is a massive organ. It's really big. So from this space at the front of your ribs, um, you can kind of palpate your liver all the way around the curve and the arc of your ribs into your back. And the liver in its entirety um, is kind of a wedge shape underneath your right lung. And it has, a, again, a kind of dense tissue quality to it. So if you can bring your awareness into your liver, and for me, I find that touch is really helpful to bring awareness into a part of my body. So I'm going to palpate my liver and then hold my hands around it. And then I'm just going to breathe into it. My One of my teachers, um, Bonnie, she talks a lot about bringing um, the, the mind of an organ or the mind of a system into consciousness. So you may need a lot more time than I'm going to give in this uh, recording to activate and engage with the mind of your liver. But I would definitely recommend it as an exploratory process. I think it's fascinating. And it also might be very automatic for you. So when you bring attention into your liver, when you breathe into it, what feelings arise? And do you notice any energetic shift or difference in qualities of your energy? Now, for me, I notice that the feeling that I have of managing things comes up a lot for me when I relate with my liver. And whether or not that has anything to do with what I know about the liver, I don't know because my experience of learning about the liver and starting to engage with it through felt sense awareness happened at the same time. Um, but the, a lot of the attributes and associations to the liver energetically through astrology and also through elemental medicine have to do with this character of a manager or a general, um, a kind of directive quality. And when I tune into my liver, I can really feel the part of myself who's a manager. And I am definitely a manager. And anyone else out there who's self-employed, um, you probably know this feeling too. And I'm sure plenty of people who aren't self-employed um, and definitely people who are parents, like you know this feeling where there's always a million things going on. There's um, a feeling of both overwhelm and competency, like taking care of a lot of stuff. And when I tune into my liver, I can feel the way that that energy can um, get really dense. But I can also work to open and expand and release. Especially because the liver has so much to do with our detoxifying and purifying processes in the body. I think it's really helpful to take some time regularly to tune into the liver and just do some basic breathing. And as you breathe, you can feel the expanding and the condensing of this organ. You might imagine just blood flow or energetic flow expanding and condensing in this part of your body. 
And if you get into a space where you're feeling overwhelmed with the amount of information that you have to process, or if you're really in a go, go, go manage mode, or if you're feeling totally burnt out from go, go, go and manage, um, you might really benefit from spending five minutes meditating and connecting with your liver. And I would suggest this embodied awareness, especially around um, this full moon. So our next full moon is on December 11th in Gemini. And I'll be putting out some uh, a writing exercise and some prompts for that full moon. And I'll remind us then to check in with our livers, but um, especially leading up to it and throughout the entire season of Sagittarius and also throughout your life. If you find yourself in times and spaces where there's a lot of demand on your attention, um, check in with your liver. Just kind of notice what's happening there. And again, for me, I notice that when I'm in a place of feeling very oriented towards managing and processing information, my liver starts to feel more condensed. And if I can take a couple of minutes and breathe in and relax, it's incredibly helpful. All right, so once again, I'm just gonna bring it back around to your natal chart and encourage you to look at your natal chart. Um, all this astrology is super interesting, just thinking about it in general, but it becomes fascinating and relevant when you start to compare it with your natal chart. If you've never um, gotten your chart, you can get one for free on my website if you go to embodiedastrology.com. In the horoscopes section, you'll see a link for get your free chart. Just click on that, you input all your information. Um, none of it is saved to me, it's an app uh, that I have on my website. And then you can see where the planets are and what signs they're in and what houses they're in. And any kind of Google search will give you some information. You can also get the Embodied Astrology Basics Handbook that I have um, in the Play and Learn section on my website. And in that handbook, you can find information about the signs and the houses, as well as the planets, um, just kind of basic descriptions of them, um, as well as a little bit of information on how aspects work. So what we've been talking about today will start to probably make a lot of sense once you start to compare it with your natal placements. Wherever you have Jupiter in your chart, consider the ways that you process information, that you think that you can handle things, uh, that you take on a lot of responsibility, that you have enthusiasm for what you're doing. Wherever Sagittarius is in your chart, um, again, think about where you are opening to new information, where you get um, really into your ideas, where you're trying to grow. And then if you are making correlations, you're looking at a placement and you're going, oh, that's when I do this thing, or that feels like that thing, you can bring in these embodiments as tools also. So for me, I know how Jupiter works in my chart. One of the ways that it can work in my chart is um, a, an overwhelm of ideas and how it aspects my chart. It's like, I'll get all these ideas all at the same time and I'll feel so urgent about them and I want to do them all and I'll jump into it and then I'll get totally overwhelmed and I'll lose my energy. And the more that I can work with 
the embodiments of Sagittarius and Jupiter in my body, um, the more support I have for those moments. So if I feel into my uprightness and into this embodiment work around the hips and the SI, I can ask myself questions about all of my ideas. Like, is this really an idea that I want to pursue? And if I feel that the idea is pulling me off my own center, I won't pursue it. If an idea feels like it's anchoring in me in a calm and centering way and it's helping me feel more strong and more rooted and vibrant, I'll pursue it. Uh, likewise, if I'm in a place where I've got a million and ten ideas and I'm so excited about all of them, it's really helpful if I can remember to take five minutes and check in with my liver because for sure I'm going to have tension there. I'm going to feel like a condensing kind of quality and that's how I know, um, you know, when I'm, when I'm having the sense of urgency in my body, that's now where I'm placing it is like right around my liver area. So I'll take a couple of minutes and breathe into it. I might engage a brief meditation on the inevitability of my own death. And then I'll go, okay, what, I, what are the ideas that I, that I really feel aligned with? It's not going to be all of them. It might not even be one of them. But I want to put my energy into ultimately what is most aligned for me and what I feel is most in service to you. So I want to suggest that you also check in with your own chart, with your own placements and with your embodiments and all of these ideas about Sagittarius and Jupiter um, to see what, you know, what's the best for you, what's the most in service to your own energy. All right, friends. Well, I am going to leave it there for this episode of Embodied Astrology for Sagittarius season. And I want to encourage you to listen to your audio horoscope for more information on your house placements in the audio horoscope. I'll talk a lot about Sagittarius for your sign or for your rising sign this month. Um, some of the main things to keep a lookout for the peak energy points of the new moon and full moon, as well as Jupiter in its transit into Capricorn and a couple of other things going on. Um, there is so much more going on this month, though, than what I talk about in this podcast or in the horoscopes. There are planetary transits and aspects occurring every single day. The lunar cycles are fascinating to follow. There is really um, so much support with the language of astrology to work with in our lives. And one of the best ways that you can support embodied astrology and get astrology for your life is to become a subscriber. You can subscribe by donation at any amount per month, literally $1 um, if that's what you can afford. And the access that you gain is to my monthly extended forecast. That forecast is a recording. It's usually between 30 and 60 minutes. In that recording, I go through every single day of the zodiacal season and I talk about what's happening in the planets and with the moon and I give suggestions for how to work with that energy. You also get a printable astrology calendar uh, slash journal and that calendar and journal offers um, a little bit of a different kind of information so it's written rather than spoken it's more concise and it also gives suggestions for meditative practices um, I offer links to various meditations that I've offered and descriptions for other awareness practices that you can apply with the astrological energy and there's also space for you to take your own notes, for you to do your own astrological research. 
as I mentioned, um, that's one of the best ways that you can support this work. And I need your support to continue with Embodied Astrology. Um, everything that I do, I do on my own. I don't have a staff. Um, and there's quite a lot of work that goes into Embodied Astrology. So if you enjoy this work and if you benefit from it, please do consider becoming a subscriber. You'll also get discounts on the year ahead birthday reports as well as my online classes. Um, you can always make a one-time donation from my website. Just click on the upper right-hand corner for the tip jar. You can subscribe on my website as well under the subscription area and then of course you can share this work that is the number one way that you can support embodied astrology is to share it to tell people about it um, to leave reviews on iTunes thank you so much for your reviews thank you to the person who recently left the review asking me to put a timestamp on the podcasts um, because of your comment I am now going to attempt to do that in a better way so if you have comments if you have feedback please leave it for me definitely please leave five star reviews and share um, check in with me on the new moon November 26th and the full moon December 11th for the new moon and the full moon offerings the new moon I'll put out a guided meditation the full moon I'll put out a writing exercise follow me on Instagram at embodied astrology for regular updates and astro tidbits and thank you so 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 much for listening um, I really appreciate you and I appreciate so much your interest and participation and support I'm wishing you all the best in Sagittarius season and beyond. Much love to you. Bye for now.